Hello and welcome to the Football Outsiders Data Show. I am your host, Vincent Perhai. Joining me as always, Football Outsiders Editor-in-Chief Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders Contributing Writer Brian Knowles. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Uh, better than Jim Ursay. Maybe we say that every day. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get into this. A, a very non-data story dominating the uh, topic of conversation here, but... Before we do, I want to say a nice word about our friends over at Underdog Fantasy because you, the Football Outsiders listener, you can play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. Are your season-long fantasy teams floundering? You can play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win the traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You can even win fifth thousand dollars if you grab first place or try the pick'em games where you can easily pick players chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines even in states where traditional prop betting currently is not available underdog is the fastest growing fantasy site around join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download underdog in the app store and use promo code outsiders now to double your first deposit up to one hundred dollars so thank you to Underdog for being a friend of the show, and thank you to the Indianapolis Colts for giving us something to talk about. What in the world is going on in, in Indianapolis? Let's start with the news in case anyone has not been paying attention over the past uh, 24 hours. Uh, Frank Reich is out. He's, he's been fired after putting up a 40-33-1 record as head coach. That's the fifth best winning percentage in Colts history. His team did have a winning record in three out of five seasons and a positive uh, DVOA in three out of five seasons. Uh, this this year, they did not have a winning record and did not have a positive DVOA. They have the worst offense in the league by our numbers and the the absolute lack of anything resembling production against the Patriots looked like it was going to be the last straw. Yeah, what what an offensive debacle. I was there at the game on Sunday. It was an oh. amazing, amazing display of no offense. Uh, my, the, my only, condolences. the only thing that made that game um, not one of the worst offensive games of all time by DVOA was that there weren't turnovers, hmm. right? There were only uh, one turnover for each side. Because if you look at the worst offensive games ever by DVOA combining both teams, you end up with stuff like a Buccaneers game where they had eight turnovers. Right. Uh, but they averaged 2.66 yards per play, which was the fifth lowest combined average since 1981 and the lowest in any game since 2000. So uh, offense is not working for the Indianapolis Colts. And after the game, talking to folks, I talked a little bit to Stephen Holder, who's the ESPN Indianapolis guy. And we, I mean, we agreed. We Frank Reich was done after the season. Like, I'm sure. surprised that it came right after that game. But we all agreed, like, Frank Reich is a good coach. Frank Reich is especially a good offensive coach if he has a real quarterback. Frank Reich will have success in the future but it was in the best interest of the Colts to get a fresh start. I just didn't expect a fresh start to come until after the season. Yeah. Remember, Reich was coming in to coach Andrew Luck, and he ended up with Jacoby Brissett, uh, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, and Matt Ryan. So the fact that he actually managed to pull like solid performances out of most of those guys is impressive. 
but yeah, the, the, the Colts offense was just like fundamentally broken. They went they went all in on veteran quarterbacks year after year after year, and that just served out. That just turned out not to be sustainable. Uh, if you know, if my team needs an offensive coordinator, I'm very excited. If I'm hiring Frank Reich, if my team needs a, needs a head coach, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not against interviewing him and bringing him in and kicking the tires at the very least. I think that he'll be fine in the long run. But this but a change needed to happen. Whether this change needed to happen, I think is a more open question. Well, John Ward, we'll talk about Reich first. John Ward asks in the comments, and don't forget if you're watching live on YouTube or Twitch, you can make comments and have a discussion with us, how much fun it would be for Reich to be offensive coordinator of the Bucks. I mean, every team out there right now is like, how fun would it be if Frank Reich was offensive coordinator of the Steelers? Uh, wouldn't yeah. it be great if Frank Reich came in and was offensive coordinator of the Patriots? Like if they have, and there was a real offensive coordinator. Like I think every team, teams that have young quarterbacks where offenses are struggling, they're like, you know, wouldn't it be great if Frank Reich came in and was head coach and offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers with CJ Stroud as, or Bryce Young as their quarterback next year. Like, um, I mean, I think that a lot of people are going to want to hire Frank Reich. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's going to be an offensive coordinator. I think he's going to have his pick of head coaching opportunities here in about, what is it, three months, two, three, two or three months. He's going to be on a lot of short lists at the very least. But BU Vandal says that Matt Ryan's 68 completion percentage, 68% completion rate with 3% interception rate is weird because his arm is toast. I believe that no quarterback threw deep less often than Matt Ryan when he was still the starting quarterback of the Colts. And we have new numbers that are going to be coming soon to FO+. Woo, good we're plug. We're going to have offensive, like quarterbacks, like left, middle, and right performance, and then deep and short performance. And I think that Matt Ryan had like the fewest deep passes. So his arm is toast. I'm looking up right now the Colts' uh, offense of DVOA. Obviously, it's terrible this year, dead last and 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 sinking actually. Uh, but before that, 13th in 2021, 12th the year before that, 19th in uh, 2019, 10th in 2018. So that's actually not as good as I would have guessed, but still on the whole, better than average year in and year out. Right. Look with, at who the quarterbacks were. That's the and a rotating cast of fill in the blank stop gaps. Uh, so. No, I, I, I think he's going to, like I say, whatever job openings are available, he, he's the, by, by a mile, the hottest head coaching candidate going into 2023. And one of the remarkable things for people who were not online or on the Football Outsiders Discord during Monday Night Football, with Ursay, Jim Ursay gave a press conference during Monday Night Football. One yeah. of the incredible things that Ursay said was that he wants a coach who has no fear because scared coaches use analytics. And that seemed like a like a swipe at Reich and a swipe at the Colts' own analytics department, which as far as I know, those guys still have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and a really weird comment. Like, has anybody ever said the problem with analytically forward coaches is that they're too timid? Well, that is... <laughs> Exactly. But but what I want is an old school coach who has the balls to punt all the time. 
it, that and that was only like the third or fourth weirdest thing that Jeremy. Yeah, the said thing with the core tiles was even weirder. I'm looking yeah. at the core tile quote. I got yeah, I've got it, I've got it right here. We're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000. That means in the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. Uh, uh, now, Vince, in your other job, you you uh, you talked with a guy named Brian about stuff. This is some Scott Steiner level math going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I wouldn't want Scott Steiner running my football team either. Um, or, or, clear, or managing or owning whatever he's doing out there in uh, Indiana. Be clear. Also, just, just because this is the database fact show, the top quartile of the top quartile would be two teams, not four. So even if you'd like give him the benefit of the doubt, I can't do math. And that's yeah, why he doesn't um, like the analytics department. It, it all makes sense when you put it together. And, and, and... And when we were talking after the game and I was talking to people in the press box, we, we thought that the Colts needed like a total refresh after the season. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like Chris Ballard is staying on as general manager. Now, we'll see because like a week ago, Ursay was like, we're keeping Frank Reich. Everything is great. And then he fired yeah. Frank Reich. So he could still fire uh, Ballard also. But I mean, I thought that they needed to make a fresh change, like an entire fresh change, not just the coaching. Now, before we move on to what comes next in Indianapolis and who's replacing Frank Wright, because frankly, that's an even bigger story than Frank Wright being gone. Uh, one more little note here about this game you dug up, Brian, about the last time we saw uh, uh, a game with this little offensive production. Now, the, the Colts ran at least 60, 60-something plays. And usually if you run that many plays, you're going to get a few good ones now and again. The Colts averaged less than two yards per play. In the last 20 seasons, there's only one other game where a team averaged less than two yards of play on over 60 plays. And that was the 1-15 and 15 Rams in 2009 when they had Keith Null as their starting quarterback in, in a we-don't-know-we-just-we-had-to-put-a-warm-body-out-there kind of game. Uh, Sam Ellinger kind of falls into that we-don't-know-we-need-a-warm-body kind of player, and he's yes, got he the does. rest of the season. Yeah. Um as I was breaking down the game in quick reads, Ellinger was in last place, obviously. It was actually a very bad week for quarterbacks, there was a, but but most of them did not play the entire game. P.J. Walker only played a half, uh, for example, uh, uh, as somebody else who only played part of the game. But um, Sam Ellinger was by far the worst who started and finished. Played the entire game, played the entire second half facing a deficit. I believe played the entire second half facing a deficit with multiple scores. Failed to throw for a single first down in the entire second half. Oh my god! And yeah, he was really bad. And the Colts don't really have another option. I mean, you you could put Nick Foles back there, but what does he what does he do for you at this point in time? He's not gonna. The Colts aren't going anywhere. So you, I guess you got to see what what Ellinger has, and it, so far it's it's not much. Well, they're not completely out of it yet. But that's only because I would honestly put Foles back. I would I would honestly give Foles a couple of games, and if they lose those games, go back to Ellinger. Well, we mentioned five point six percent in the playoff odds, or somewhere around around that part, and that's mostly because yeah. the AFC AFC South is not good. Well, the uh, Colts don't have a proven quarterback right now, and they don't have a proven head coach either, because the man they have reached out to replace Frank Reich for at least the next two months, Jeff. Saturday. Uh, Brian, tell me a little bit about Jeff Saturday's coaching resume, which is basically a blank sheet of paper. Jeff Saturday uh, uh, was the head coach at Hebron Christian Academy from 2017 to 2020. That is a, an academy a high school in Georgia. 
He has a 20 and 16 record in the regular season as a head coach there. That's uh, 24 and 23 if you include the playoffs. And um, th- that's it. He's the first coach with no pro or college coaching experience since Norm Van Brocklin took over the Minnesota Vikings in 1961. It has been a while since we've had someone just no, no resume, no credentials whatsoever take over the head coaching job. It's, it's, it's insane. I mean, there, 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 this is not, this not some, there was no, there's never been any boomers about Saturday being an up and coming prospect. No one has ever thought, Oh, let's bring in Saturday for, you know, offensive line coach or anything. And here he is now in charge of the team just for, I don't know, the sake of culture and vibes, I guess. Like, yes, culture and vibes. I mean, I mean, if we can just get, just to get away from the data show for a second and talk seriously, like, this is something that the Houston Texans wanted to do with Josh yes. McKinnon. <laughs> and they were scared away from it basically by the Rooney rule. Mm-hmm. So for the Colts to come in and basically do the same thing, like, I'm not questioning whether Jeff Saturday knows football or is a good guy. Like, everybody who worked with him at ESPN says he knows football and is a good guy. But for a white dude to get a head coaching job in the NFL with no coaching experience whatsoever is mind boggling. Plus there was a legend of the Colts already on the staff who has at least some position coaching experience, which is Reggie Wayne. Like it's wild. If he becomes the permanent coach after this, like for next year, and they got around the Rooney rule this way, that's just awful. That will be a huge story and not and not a very good one. And um, I'm not and I'm not saying Ursay is racist or anything like that, because Ursay, remember, hired Tony Dungy, hired Jim Caldwell to replace Tony Dungy. Like he's got a record of hiring African American head coaches, and that's fine. But like, as I've seen a number of people point out on Twitter, like Never, ever again should anybody bring up that an African-American coach does not have enough experience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when asked about it, Ursay uh, turned it into an attack on journalists, attack on journalism. Like this, the quote is, there's no problem with perception unless you guys make a problem with perception. You got to do it. I understand. I was a broadcast journalism major, too. I don't know. Are you guys ever held accountable? Like, I need to check our Twitter mentions every now and again to see if we've ever been held accountable for something we've read. But yeah, it's, uh... Bomani Jones posted something along the lines of right now it's a terrible look, but not actually a big deal because if you were an African-American coaching prospect, the last thing in the world you want to do is take this interim coaching job for the next two months. That's a reasonable, that's a reasonable comment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so while it's a bad look superficially, it's not a big story right now for, for that reason. If Jeff Saturday is retained to the end of the year, all hell is going to break loose, rightfully so. Um, that's <laughs> especially if they be, especially if they play badly over the yeah. next nine games, yes. uh, over the next eight games, and then and then he keeps the job anyway. Yeah, it's a different story if if Saturday is this coaching savant and he turns the team around stuff like that. Then that that, that changes the story dramatically. Uh, I I I find myself skeptical that that's going to happen. Uh, it's just weird because. Yeah, they passed over Reggie Wayne. They passed over Gus Bradley is on staff. John Fox is on staff. Yeah. Bubba Ventrone, the special teams uh, uh, coordinator, has gotten some head coaching buzz in the past. He's on staff. And so they brought in someone who 
not 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 involved in the team in any way. I mean, he he was there at the Ring of Honor ceremony a couple a couple weeks ago. Brought him in over everyone else, everyone else, and put them in charge. It's we were talking right before uh, uh, we started recording about you know the, the weird timing of this. It's not like the Colts are on a bye, and Saturday's got a couple weeks here to get his team ready. They they play Las Vegas this week, and uh, you talk about bad coaches. You're usually talking about things like play calling or preparation or, or, or too many penalties or, or, or what have you. Sean Payton was on Monday Night Football with the Mannies last night telling a story about a nightmare he had where his team was late for the game. This is something I imagine will happen when you have a coach who is not a coach running your team. Will, will the Colts show up for kickoff at the correct scheduled time? That's a fair question right now. And uh, the fact they're even taking bets on this Colts Raiders game, frankly, boggles my mind. Uh, as we talk right now, the Colts still do not know who, or at least we do not know, who will be calling the plays for the Colts uh, on, on Sunday. They have not announced that yet. The only person on staff who has any experience calling offensive plays is quarterback coach Scott Milanovich, who did it as, as an interim situation in Jacksonville, and I believe actually has a little CFL uh, play calling experience as well. Uh, so he would be the logical decision. Uh, not sure if logical describes anything about this current call situation. But yeah, I mean, with, with Reich gone, and the, remember they fired the offensive coordinator the week before. It's a it's a complete fresh start there, with you know five days to get everything sorted. And uh, I'll point out, we pointed out in our notes here, we are as of now going to be subjected to the Colts three more times in night games. But I have a feeling there is going to be some flexing going on. Yeah, <laughs> right <laughs> now, Colts Steelers on Monday night. Colts Cowboys on Sunday night, and then Colts Chargers on Monday night. Now, I can't remember if the new, there was some talk about the new television contract allowing a flex out of Monday. I don't uh, remember if that actually became official. Because that if that's official, year. that Monday night game against the Steelers is gone. That starts next year. That starts next year. Okay, yeah. so the only one of these that's going to get flexed is that game against the Cowboys. And here's yeah. the thing. The Cowboys get such high TV ratings. I don't even know if they're going to flex out of that. I, I, well, they I'm have gonna, to. <laughs> there has to be something else going on, on that week. I'm actually going to. Are you going to check the schedule for that week? They, um, yeah, I, I actually am. Yeah, because they they did flex the first game today. Two weeks from now, they took Bengals Steelers out of Sunday night and replaced it with Chiefs Chargers. Yeah, I, I think that actually uh, taps the number of primetime games the Chiefs have because Chiefs Bengals is is that week. That would be an interesting uh, Sunday night game to flex for the Cowboys. But Forty uh, ers Dolphins, there, there's a game you could flex a Sunday That's night. Much better. Oh, it's a fun That's, game, man. Yeah, Forty ers Dolphins is the Mike McDaniel revenge game. That's a great. Yeah. That's a great game. Let's have that instead of uh, Cowboys versus the Colts. The Jeff Wilson revenge game. There's all sorts of storylines going OC on. OC Parkway says Coach Saturday can always get helpful advice from Gus Bradley. What could go wrong? Oh, they could play cover three all the time. But Gus Bradley knows how to get his team to the game on time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think people understand this. A bad NFL coach is still an NFL head coach. Like, right. I well, mean, and Bradley, for, you know, hey, as a defensive coordinator, he's got the Colts as a top 10 defense in DVOA right now. So. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's uh, it it's, it makes no sense. We're a data and analytics show, and there's no data or analytics to support any of this right now. So, uh, yeah, good luck, uh, Jeff Saturday and Sam Ellinger leading the Colts to glory for the next for the rest of 2022. 
So moving on to the uh, better teams in the AFC, which is literally everyone else. I'm going to do a quick uh, State of the Union address here on the uh, playoff odds in the AFC. Right now, the Football Outsiders playoff odds report, we have Buffalo and Baltimore essentially neck and neck, uh, 94% chance of making the playoffs. And frankly, if I was going to take the over or under on those, I would take the over. I think those odds may be a little low. And scrolling down the list here, there's uh, our seven-team playoff field. I don't want to say it looks set, but there's a clear top seven right now. of Well, uh, clear top nine, I think. Okay. It's basically nine teams for seven spots. There you go. Yes. Because Cincinnati is at 49% and New England is at 44%. So they still have a shot. I certainly subjectively, sadly, as a Patriots fan, subjectively would have to say, I think Cincinnati has a better shot than New England right now. By a, by a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I see New England fading in the second half and Cincinnati not fading in the second half. But um, but right now we have nine teams for seven. And mathematically speaking, any team with at least four wins still controls their own fate. So if you have if you're te- if you're a fan of a team with four wins or more, you're in OK spot, spot at this point in time. You just got to keep winning. If you don't have four wins, you need help elsewhere. That's that's more or less what it comes down to here and how much help it can be you know, shown by these playoff odds and stuff like that. But if you, if your team's sitting at least four wins, you're still right in the thick of the playoff race at this point in time. So those, uh, the top seven we have right now, the, the, the division leaders, Buffalo, Baltimore, Kansas City, and Tennessee, which were uh, uh, three playoff teams from last year in Baltimore would have been if they had been even halfway healthy. Uh, but then the wild card teams are all new in the Jets, Dolphins, and Chargers. So there's a lot of fresh new faces, and, and I don't think anyone saw the Jets coming. Um, and you're we last did on defense. We get that's as a top 10 defense. What we did yes. not have is Zach Wilson as a 20th best quarterback in the league instead of 32nd. Right. Right. So, um, so here's the fun conversation topic. The, the, the Bengals and Patriots, as we noted, are the last two teams on the outside looking in right this second. Uh, if one of them gets in, who do you think is that uh, that top seven is going to fall out? Uh, of those top seven, uh, who, who is, whose grip is most tenuous right this second? Be- before this week, I would have said absolutely it's the New York Jets because of they had the injuries on offense to the, all those rookie playmakers. I think I'd still say it's the Jets, uh, even, even after the huge upset over the Bills. I feel like the Bills beat themselves a little bit in that game. Uh, I mean, the Jets have a great defense, but I still don't tr- – if I look at the list, I don't tr- Zach Wilson's the quarterback I trust the least. So if yes, if, I, if someone's going to fall, uh, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be the Jets. I guess I would say the Chargers due to injuries. Yeah, but it might be the Jets because of injuries and because of the fact that, as we know, offense is more predictive than defense, and the Jets right. are riding it on defense right now, whereas Miami is riding it on offense. There is a better chance that the Miami defense improves than there is that the Jets offense improves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could tell me right now that the wildcard teams will be the Dolphins, Bengals, and Patriots, and I wouldn't be stunned by that if both the Jets and the Chargers fell, fell back. So despite this loss to Buffalo, we still have – excuse me, loss to the Jets. We still have the Bills, uh, uh, the clear favorites to be the number one seed in the AFC, almost even money at 44%. Now, that so gets interesting. Yeah. That gets interesting if Josh Allen ends up missing some time. He's got that UCL in, uh, issue injury that we don't know anything about right now. Uh, it might be nothing. They, they say it's more of a situation to observe more than an actual injury at this point in time. But they're doing more tests 
We should find out more later this afternoon. Uh, he remember, uh, Allen had the UCL injury uh, in his rookie year. He missed a month. Uh, Drew Brees had a similar injury. He missed five games. Jimmy Garoppolo had that in- injury last year. He only missed one game. Uh, so I think it's Allen. Even in the worst case scenario, Josh Allen probably plays again this year. It's not like we're not going to see any more Josh Allen. But if he does miss a month, there's the chance every chance that the Chiefs or the Ravens could catch them for that number one seed. That's going to be a the Bills are fine for the playoffs, but that number one seed might be in question if Allen has to miss some time. I also would say what's interesting is what if we don't have no Allen, but what if we have lesser Allen? Then you have to like approximate what that means to how good the Bills are. Like what if uh, the UCL sprain causes Allen to change his mechanics and go back more towards the Allen of 2019 and not play at the level we're now used to from him. But that's still better, but it's still better than Case Keenum. So he plays. So at that point, who are the Bills? I think if the Bills are wise and if there's any kind of lingering stuff there, you start Keenum for as long as you need to for yep. Allen to get fully healthy. Because Keenum, yeah. he's a perfectly prominent backup quarterback. And they and the Bills do not have the the world's toughest schedule in the immediate future. I mean, this, and they have this, a strong this, defense and Tredavious White coming back. Yeah, they, they play the Vikings this week. And then they have the uh, – where to go? Yeah, the, the Browns, the Lions, and the Patriots again. That would be the next month. You and honestly, probably... I would still favor the Bills over the Vikings, even with Case Keenum at quarterback. I just would favor them by like a point. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think you can get out of that two and two or three and one with Case Keenum and, and that defense, and then hopefully bring bring back Allen when he's been more at full health. I think I think the Bills can afford to be a little bit cautious with you know with their MVP candidate yeah. quarterback. No, their their November schedule. You gone over that. Uh, that that certainly looks easier than their December schedule, which is Jets, Dolphins, Bears, Bengals, Patriots. There's a uh, there's some serious upset potential there down the stretch that they're going to need a healthy Josh Allen for. Uh, let's see. I guess we're going to move. That, it does help that they have wins over the Chiefs and Titans, so that so they have all the tiebreakers. If that, that and the Ravens, yeah, yes, they have wins over all three of the other division leader, leaders. So that helps. They are in good shape. Uh, also in good shape overall, the Kansas City Chiefs, because they have Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes keeps doing amazing things that we've sometimes never seen before. Brian, talk a little bit about what Patrick Mahomes is doing this year. All right. So on uh, uh, on Sunday night, it was basically Patrick Mahomes deciding that if all my receivers are going to drop passes and all my running backs are going to stop the line, I will win this game single-handedly. He's the first player in the Super Bowl era with at least 400 yards and a touchdown passing and 60 yards and a touchdown rushing in the same game. 82% of the Chiefs rushing yards against the Titans came from Patrick Mahomes. That is not something that happens. That's the fifth highest percentage by a quarterback in the last 20 years. He was only a couple of pass attempts short of Drew Bledsoe's record for most pass attempts in a game. He completed 43 passes. Malik Willis and the Titans completed five. It's 43 to five. That's the largest gap in the Super Bowl era between two quarterbacks. The, the previous record was the 2009 Patriots uh, over the Titans in the 59 to nothing game in the snow where they where they just obliterated everybody. Patrick Mahomes basically just took the entire Chiefs offense on his shoulders and said, "I'm going to do everything, and we're going to win this football game." That's that's it's a nice thing to have in your quarterback. Yeah, I, I said it on Twitter and got 
5,500 likes or something. It's like one of the most popular tweets I've ever had. I just said, Patrick Mahomes is the MVP. And I don't know. Here's something funny. I don't know if I changed the odds (laughs) because I'm one of the voters and I publicly announced who I would vote for if we voted today. And Mahomes passed Jalen Hurts. They changed the odds, and now Mahomes is the favorite, not Jalen Hurts. Like, I, I, I don't want to be obnoxious and egotistical, but I do wonder if one of the voters saying, right now I would vote for Mahomes, changed the odds. But to me, Mahomes is clearly the MVP at this point. Tua Tagovailoa has more passing value by our numbers. But you ask yourself, who is more helped by their teammates and their scheme like, I realized that, that uh, Mahomes has a better offensive line, and he does have Andy Reid, and he does have Travis Kelsey. But when you look at all the underthrown deep balls that Waddle and Hill adjust to, I would, I would have to vote for Mahomes. I think Tua is a candidate, but I would have to vote for Mahomes as MVP right now. Yeah, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. I, I, we, said that, we said that before that the season. Uh, that stands now. Even if he doesn't win the MVP, I think he's still the best quarterback in the league. Someone else might have a better end up having a better season. But right. Mahomes, B- the B- Vandal says Tyreek Hill for MVP. Again, I believe that there is no way that a non-quarterback can have the most value in the league. But he has a lot of value, and right now, I would absolutely vote for Tyreek Hill for Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah. Hill is up to uh, 1,104 receiving yards uh, through nine games. That's the motion the Super Bowl era. You have to get back to like some crazy days in the early AFL to be to find someone who's topped him there. Uh, Hill and Waddle have combined for over 1,900 receiving yards, which is the most for a teammate duo through nine games in a Super Bowl era. They're they're just shattering all kinds of offensive weapons. And yet, yes, I put more credit on Hill and Waddle than I do on on, on Tua. I mean, Tua made great steps. Not, not more, forward. not more credit. Like I think the quarterback is still more important, but I would give more credit to Waddle and Hill than I would to Juju Smith Schuster. Fair. Uh, just to, to look at this a little more, uh, we have the passing DVOAs for uh, Teddy Bridgewater and uh, Skylar Thompson. Compare this to, which I am frantically looking up right now. They are much worse. They are much like I will say this: like the negative for Miami's offense in the games that Tua did not play is much worse. Yeah, Bridgewater's passing DVOA is negative. Skyler's is just a hair above positive here on uh, how many passes is that? Uh, not even fifty passes. Teddy Bridgewater's DVOA, DVOA right now is fifty-one point zero percent. We have DVOA. Tua is at fifty-one percent. Yeah. Is that what I said? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have DVOA now going back to 1981. Here's a full list of qualifying quarterbacks who finished the season at 50% or higher. Dan Marino, 84. Tom Brady, 07. And uh, Peyton Manning, I think, 04 and 06 in his best years with the Colts. So that's the kind of numbers the Dolphins offense is putting up with Tiger Vailoa right now. And we'll see if they can keep it up down the stretch. And I'm not denying that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are uh, – uh, uh, a key part of that more than most wide receivers are, but the this Dolphins offense when it's playing well is just phenomenal, and uh, it's kind of flying under the radar because a their defense isn't that good, and b when the people think talk about Tiger Vailoa, they mostly want to talk about his injuries. Uh, but when he's playing, he's great. Yeah, and if he keeps up that fifty percent DVOA over the back half of the season, then we have a real discussion when it comes to the MVP voting yes. kind of time. If he if he's shattering yeah. records at that point, 
I have more confidence in Mahomes keeping up his performance over the second half of the season than I do in Tua. Yeah. yeah. He has a stronger track record of this kind of thing. Yes. Uh, Tua has got like about seven, seven games of this now. So uh, it's, it, it's okay to be a little bit skeptical that he can keep it up for the rest of the year. But uh, like I say, this Dolphins offense is clicking and uh, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are putting up the kind of tag team numbers we've never seen. Uh, Brian, you've got some stats here on other uh, receiving duos and how Hill and Waddle stack up. Yeah, so both Hill and Waddle have over 800 receiving yards through nine games. That's only the sixth time that's ever happened. Uh, you have 2019 Tampa Bay with, uh, with Evans and Godwin did it. Uh, 2014 Denver with Thomas and Sanders. Uh, 2002 Buffalo with Eric Moles and Peerless Price. That's a, that, that, that's a combo you wouldn't think of. Uh, 2000 St. Louis with Isaac Bruce and Toy Halt. And then the 1961 Houston Oilers with Charlie Hennigan and Bill Groman in the early growing pain days of the AFL. That's it. That, that's the list of people who have put up as many yards as Hill and Waddle through nine games. I'll also point out, speaking of Sanders, I did this as a tweet on Sunday. The highest receiving value for a wide receiver on a new team in DYAR, if you prorate Hill to the 17-game season, he would be third all-time behind Randy Moss and Emmanuel Sanders for the 2014 Broncos. So, but Randy Moss is top of any list, so... Yeah. Another star in the AFC who had a uh, great game on Sunday. Not necessarily a great season he's having all year, but Joe Mixon of the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, one of the top 10 running back games you've ever measured, even though he did not have a single carry or target in the fourth quarter. Uh, but he scored a lot of points. And uh, you've got some notes here on the first half touchdowns yeah. Joe Mixon scored in the exclusive company he joined. Yeah, Mixon scored four touchdowns in the first half and briefly had us on Ernie Nevers' watch if he was going to break the record for most points scored in the game. He, he's only the 13th player in history to find the end zone four times in the first half with a a, a very uh, eclectic but, but talented list of other players. So Mixon joins Jamal Charles, uh, Randy Moss, because Moss is on all these lists, uh, Priest Holmes, Sean Alexander, who had five in one game, Eric one Dickerson. Half. Yes, sorry, five one half, yes. Eric Dickerson, Roy Green, and that Chuck Muncie, Harold Jackson, Paul Warfield, Dante Lavelli, Don Hudson, and Gibby Welch. I've got my Gibby Welch jersey here, ready to uh, put on if this if this comes up again. Gibby Welch, uh, for, he was playing for the New York Yankees that year. The year before, he went to the Providence Steamroller. Gibby Welch. Oh, were they the Yankees or the Yanks? They this was the Yankees. The Yanks were an entirely yeah, different. The Yanks, New York the Yanks team. didn't have enough. Weren't, they weren't good enough to have E at the end of it. Didn't game. have enough E's. No. Yeah. Um, two other stats we have on the AFC before we move on to the NFC. We've got notes here. The Patriots. There have been ten wins this season of twenty-three or more points. Big blowout wins, and the Patriots somehow have three of them. And yet I still think they're going to fall apart in the second half of the year. And um, the Raiders have three 17-point leads blown this season. I mean, I, you could put that into context all you want, but did, like, we don't need to put any other numbers there. That, that's bad. They, they're 20th in all. They went out and got an offensive guru and Devontae Adams, and they're 20th in offensive DVO. The, the offense is, uh, is uh, disappointing and underperforming, that's for sure, but someone – asked me online about how they keep blowing all these leads. And I explained, well, their defense is Max Crosby and 10 random dudes. Yeah, basically, yes. 
that's that's a, a slight exaggeration, but uh, only slightly. Um, their 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 roster still has lots of holes. Yeah, Max Crosby so. is a freaking force, but Chandler Jones is doing nothing this year. No, he's he's he's. Uh, I think it was, it was a five sacks in week one last year, or, or an early yeah, game against Five, in week, and, five yeah. in week one last year, yeah. Yeah, so so really his last uh, twenty some games now has been a complete non factor. Um, so. Things are not looking good in Las Vegas. Uh, moving over to the NFC, uh, as you noted in the AFC, it's seven or nine teams fighting for seven spots. I'm doing some quick math here. I think I count eight teams fighting for, fighting for seven basically spots. Have, we basically have eight teams fighting for seven spots, and I would honestly that eighth team is a say more accurately that seven there are for six seven. spots pretty much set, and the seventh spot belongs to whoever wins the NFC South. Yeah, you, you all can make the it, other I, all the other teams in the NFC are at fifteen percent or lower, but we basically have Philly and Dallas, yep. and the Giants, Seattle and San Francisco, Minnesota, and then whoever wins the NFC South. Yep. You could make an argument for Washington if you really wanted to, if you wanted to, to like increase the number of th- uh, number of things. They they were right in that game against the Vikings. Uh, but the, you, the, you're just trying to find a little bit more drama, I think, if you're trying to, to argue yeah. about the commanders making the playoffs. I mean, it would be fun to have a whole division make the playoffs. Would be That would be fun. It's it, it, it's within the realm of possibility still. Except for you two, because if a whole division makes the playoffs, <laughs> one of your teams doesn't. Either Seattle doesn't or San Francisco doesn't. Well, that'll make well, the Week 15 game between them all the more exciting. <laughs> right now, okay. it looks like that's the, that, that's for the division. Uh, if that's also for the playoffs. That's that that's a uh, it's a very super game. You know, maybe they should deflect that sucker. Uh, stranger things have happened. Yeah, it, it, Washington's been a much better playoff, best better, much better football team with uh, Taylor Heineke at quarterback. But the, the the hole they're trying to dig themselves out of, I think, is just too deep. And much better doesn't actually mean good. <laughs> just, they're 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 pretty average right now. If, they, if they've been average all year, maybe they'd be in the thick of this playoff race, but they haven't been. And uh, I, I think you're uh, reaching to try to uh, uh, get them in the playoff field. And Atlanta's the opposite. Uh, they have not been a very good football team. This defense remains awful. But they've gotten enough wins in the bank, including the big one over Tampa Bay, that you can't totally write them off yet. Yeah, the uh, DVOA commentary that's coming right after this show, one of the things I did this week was a lot of, like, here's how good the team was in the first four weeks. Here's how good the team was in the last five weeks. And uh, – I draw attention to the fact that both Tampa Bay and Atlanta are playing worse than they were in September. So enjoy that race. <laughs> race to the bottom. Uh, maybe the no, the Saints can't win. Never mind. The uh, NFC South. Somebody has to win that thing. Yeah, we, we've checked. Bylaws insist. I feel pretty strongly it's going to be the Buccaneers. Yeah, I, I think so too. That but... head to win is interesting, but yeah, I think you got to favor the Bucks. It, it does feel like they're all just uh, playing to see who loses to Philadelphia and Dallas in the playoffs right now. Um, Dallas. But basically, I feel like the NFC South is playing to who gets to host a Dallas win. Yeah. Because <laughs> Dallas will be it. five, and the NFC South winner will be four, and Dallas will go to either Tampa or Atlanta, and they will kick their butts, and then <sighs> well, we will move on. on with our lives. Whatever happens. Uh, so as noted, the top of this pile right now is still the Philadelphia Eagles still haven't lost an eight and no record. And it turns out, Brian, that a lot of these teams that start out eight and no are good. It, it, it's shocking. Winning a lot of football games is highly correlated with being successful at football. Uh, 
we have the Eagles with an with a one hundred percent chance to make the playoffs. That's not technically accurate. It's ninety nine point something 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 something. Yeah, I didn't bother to run yeah. it and go like, is it two times out of fifty thousand they yeah. don't, or four times out of fifty? Yeah. But it's- mathematically, they could lose every single game they have left and still make the playoffs. They 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 they're doing fine. <laughs> all the twenty eight previous teams to to start eight no they all made the playoffs. Uh, fifteen of them won the conference, and eight of them won the Super Bowl. So the Eagles are in definitely in the catbird seat. There was there was some question. You know, there was some joke in the Discord. Oh, is DBA loving the Eagles once again? Because it seems that no matter what their record are, DBA loves them. And to compare, they finally hit first place in both DVOA and weighted DVOA this week. But in historical terms of eight no teams, they're kind of only okay. They're fourteenth out of the uh, twenty four eight no teams in DVOA history. So they they are a, an average, maybe slightly below average, undefeated team. Uh, right. So they're doing fine. They're not historically great or anything, but you don't have to be historically great in these NFC. Usually the number one team is better than this in DVOA, but this is the crazy year of ridiculous parody. Yeah. Uh, and eight no teams, most eight no, not most eight no teams, like over half of the eight no teams are a little bit better than the Eagles, but the Eagles are, you know, they're better than the Steelers from a couple years ago. They're better than the 2015 Panthers. They're better than the yeah. 1990-49ers. Uh, there's a number of I'm gonna the DVOA article today runs the whole list of eight no teams. Uh, but the Eagles are they would be over 40% without the opponent adjustments, and instead they're 32%. So the opponent adjustments are still playing a role here, but yeah. uh, they're the Eagles are truly good and they're balanced. They're top four offense and top four defense. The only place they have a problem is special teams. The Eagles are truly good and truly balanced, truly balanced, which separates them from the Minnesota Vikings, who have gotten to seven and one. And I, I, even most Minnesota fans would tell you they're doing it on a lot of smoke and mirrors. Yes, the Minnesota Vikings are only the second team to ever be negative with a seven and one record. In fact, they're only the second team to ever be below five percent with a seven and one record. And the other one was. The 2000 Minnesota Vikings, who memorably won their division and then lost the NFC Conference Championship 41 to 7. Yeah, you know, I, I tried to tease this in the uh, in, in the Discord. But, oh, who's on the team? And everyone just said, oh, it's uh, got to be the Vikings again. Vikings fans are, are aware both of what they are currently and what they have been historically. And I, I dissed Mike Florio, you know, nothing against Mike himself, but a lot of people are doing this if you look at power rankings around the web. If you have Minnesota second in your power rankings, mm. stop doing power rankings. <laughs> just stop doing them. Just do a thing called, here is a list of the standings, and then just run the standings. Because if you truly believe the Minnesota Vikings are the second best team in the league because they're 7-1, and one, then just, you know, 8-0 must be the best, and 7-1 is second, and 6-2 is third, and just run the standings. Because they're so clearly not the second best team in the league. There is nobody, nobody, nobody who right now would take the Vikings to beat the Chiefs, to beat the Ravens, to beat the Cowboys, or to beat the Bills. That's all fair. Uh, They may take them, however, to beat the Buccaneers, who have a game in a very unusual setting this weekend. Uh, The NFL is making its debut in Germany. And uh, I'm not going to try and read this headline Brian wrote because I'm sure I'd butcher it and uh, anger people. We're going to see again Seahawks and Deutschland. Yeah, we, the, the, our first. You speak uh, German, dude? 
Uh, my wife does, and and, she, and, and and she's gonna be very mad that I butchered the word again. And then, but yes, how dare you? Yeah, all right. She, she's already enjoying all the leader and stuff we've seen on the on the NFL Network's preseason games. Uh, you know, it'd be like if they, if they if the if the Bundesliga had a game here in America and everyone put on cowboy hats and chaps because that's what we all wear over here, obviously. Well, in but Texas, yeah. Hey. Well, everybody on the NFL Network is going to uh, dress up as uh, what's the name of the cat from the Richard Scarry books? Oh, God. Uh, I, I read all those things. Uh, I know Loli the Worm from Cars and Trucks and Things That Go. Um, I've got back a memory. Anyway, the, whatever the name of the cat is, yeah. he always wears a letter. Yeah, so how, how are the Buccaneers favored by two and a half points in this game? That's I have determined that no one in the uh, Las Vegas industry or, or the global sportsbook industry is actually watching Seahawks games because Seattle was the underdog against Arizona last week. It was ridiculous then. It was ridiculous by about the third quarter and uh, it was definitely ridiculous by the end of the game. And I guess they're still not watching. ESPN's FPI has Seattle 22nd. And I asked them why. And they said it's because of priors on Geno Smith. The system, the ESPN system just doesn't believe even after eight, what is it, eight games or nine, nine games? Yeah. The, the ESPN system doesn't believe. But the fact is every film person we know, and Derek Klassen is going to write up Geno Smith this week, right, for mm-hmm. Film Room. Like yeah. every film person says this is real, this is real, this is real. B.U. Vandals points out the Buccaneers have never lost a game in Germany. And you can't argue with that streak. That's true. Tom Brady has never lost a game in Germany. But he has lost to a Brazilian. Oh! (laughs) Game of life. Well, that's... uh, I'm going to leave that one alone for now. But yeah, um, I'm I'm not a film film breakdown guy on Derek's level or anything, but I've been watching the Seahawks a lot. And this is not like that one crazy year Josh McCown had where he was just throwing 50-50 jump balls and his receivers were winning all the time. He's he's playing quarterback very well. And the craziest thing about this this surprising Seahawks season that no one's talking about, DK Metcalf is not having a great year. It's not a terrible year, but it, it, it's very average. He'll he'll do 60 yards and he got a touchdown this week, but he he's not he's not running wild and dominating. It's uh is the really it's an occasional deep ball of Tyler Lockett. And whichever tight end is open on a given play, because all three of them are Noah Fenton, Will Disley, and uh, uh, Colby Parkinson, they're all, they're all playing well. So it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's not a fluke thing. It, Geno Smith is going to be the Geno Smith we've seen over the past two months for at least the next two months. And then whatever happens that, whatever happens after that happens. But uh, yeah, uh, th- there's, there's no uh, numerical basis for the Buccaneers being favored in this game, unless you just want to say, uh, their plane flight is half as long as Seattle's from Germany. Um, it's the best I got for you. Yeah, but we do have some... the Seahawks playing much better defense, pass defense over the last five weeks. They're they're def- they're trending upwards too. Yeah. I'm looking forward Tariq Woolen. I've heard so I've heard so much about Tariq Woolen. I haven't gotten to see a lot of Tariq Woolen. I'm looking forward to Tariq Woolen on Mike Evans in this one. It's still Pete Carroll's defense, so that he's not following receivers around like. Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. A lot of guys do, but but they'll they'll you know they'll 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 try and test him at some point. Also, but isn't Woolen's thing speed? Big speed, speed so and size. So it'd be better for him to cover Godwin and okay. um, have someone more sizable cover Evans because Evans is a 50-50 ball kind of guy, not a speed. Yeah, guy. 
and he, well, he's speed and size, and you know that, that that's his athletic uh, numbers are are, are plain to see. The reason he slipped to the fifth round, he's, he's still very green. I think he played one year corner in college, started as a wide receiver. Huh, I remember another guy who had that same thing going on. Yeah. Slipped to the fifth because he'd only played one year of corner at Stanford. Do you yeah. remember that guy? Richard somebody. Yeah. Richard very loud. Something. Yeah. yeah. But Richard was Amazon Prime now. Huh? Yeah. He's, he's, still he's doing in well. my place. He's on Amazon Prime with Carissa Thompson and Michael Smith. That's supposed to be my spot. <laughs> I, uh, all right. <laughs> I TV show, it's been 12 years since I did a TV show, but. I married. I did Numbers Never Lie on ESPN, hosted by Carissa Thompson. Aha. Okay. Well, we do have some stars in this game from both teams. Uh, opposite, very, very opposite ends of the careers in Tom Brady and Kenneth Walker. Uh, it was an ugly win for Tampa Bay against the Rams this week, but Brady did hit a few milestones we haven't seen before. Yeah, Tom Brady's now the first passer to throw for 100,000 yards in his career. We've been really adding the playoffs. Which is just, it's it's an impossible number to to uh, to uh, even get wrap your head around. Uh, like he he's thousands and thousands of yards ahead of anyone else. Patrick Mahomes at his current rate would have to play until his late thirties to even get close to challenging that, and he's got the benefit of having an extra game every year compared to what Brady had for most of his career. Uh, it was his four his fifty fifth fourth fourth quarter comeback, and that broke his tie with Peyton Manning. So he's the first. That's the most in NFL history. He just you know the 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 uh, record book for years is is just gonna have Tom Brady's name on every page, and it's gonna take decades and decades before someone finally begins to peel any of that off. I mean, y- y- the Buccaneers played pretty bad football for like fifty eight minutes, and the last two minutes, Tom Brady was Tom Brady. And, yep, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was like how they did that. I well, maybe that's why the Bucks are very It's really turned into just. Put two guys on Aaron Donald and the Rams cannot pressure you. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the answer is, uh, how do they do this? The answer is, they play bad football for 58 minutes. The Rams play bad football for 60 minutes. Uh, and, always number one indicator there. Uh, yeah. Just to interrupt before we finish with this NFC sap tidbits, it's been announced that the play caller for the Colts will be 30-year-old assistant quarterbacks coach Parks Frazier. I have never. I always enjoyed Parks and Rec on TV. I like the show quite a bit. Which did you prefer, Parks and Rec or Frasier? <laughs> well, Parks and Rec. Or did TV you want Parks Frasier? Assistant quarterback coach. Assistant quarterbacks coach. Yes. He was right. a offensive quality control coach in 2020, before being promoted to assistant QB coach in 2021. I. I I, I've never heard this name. I have no idea who yeah. this person is. Useful title suggesting perhaps it's an auto-generated Madden player yeah. brought to life. He was a defensive quality control coach at Samford in Middle Tennessee State. He was a graduate assistant at Arkansas State. He was assistant to the head coach for two years, whatever that means. He's 30. Yeah. Oh, when I was 30, I had just lost my job at Lycos, and I was running the second year of Football Outsiders. Yeah, I, 30, I, I know. He's going to be a play caller in the NFL. I mean, Amazing. best of luck to him. I have no – I can't say who's good or bad. I have no, I have no, no, no idea. He could, be really, he could be a savant for all we know. Yeah. 
You know, you know, you, you know, yeah, why don't have someone who worked under Frank Reich? Who's going to bring Frank Reich level, uh, you know, quality to the Colts, which is what they've been needing. They needed a guy like Frank Reich to call the plays. Yeah, they did. They really did. I just, uh, I so that we've talked about uh, Brady in this Germany game. The, the star for Seattle, uh, besides, you know, Smith is Kenneth Walker, who is. On Walker. Hospital. Sorry. Kenneth Walker. That's Walker. What they here. That's what they call him here. Kenneth Walker. Yes. Uh, strong fourth quarter this week. Not a, not a great game overall, honestly, but he did have a strong fourth quarter with a couple of rushing touchdowns. And uh, closing out games is starting to be his his, his trademark. That, that, that was kind of the Seahawks' problem for the last couple of years, the fact that, you know, that in the fourth quarters, they, they, they kind of fade a little bit. And stuff like that. Now they're just running over people. Like, if, when they do have a lead, they keep it because they can just hand the ball to Kenneth Walker over and over and over again. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a dynamic they haven't had in a few years. Six fourth quarter rushing touchdowns this year. Now that is most in the NFL. Five straight games. The rushing TD uh, is actually not first in the league in rushing yards since he took over as a starter. He's, he's third behind Travis Etienne and and, and uh, uh, Derrick Henry. But um, you know he's your favorite for offensive rookie of the year for a reason. Uh, and, and as as part of this Seahawks offense that is doing so well, in, you know, uh, he's not a starter to start the year. It was Rashad Penny, but Rashad Penny went down as most people expected him eventually to do, and and Walker is showing why he went in the second round. So that is going well for Seattle. Uh, moving over to the NFC North, things are not going well for Aaron Rodgers, who is throwing turnovers like we've never seen before. Yeah, I mean, it felt like this week was just the final, you know, sh- uh, dirt on the Packers, uh, you know, season. Rodgers threw interceptions from the five-yard line and the one-yard line, and that's just not what Aaron Rodgers does. Prior to prior to uh, Sunday, he had thrown just five interceptions in his entire career from inside the five-yard line. Just one since the start of the 2016 season. I mean, Rod, that has always been Rogers' number one skill. I think he's been avoiding interceptions. That that he just doesn't Correct. doesn't do that. He does not throw interceptions, uh, and he always lives to play another play. If that's gone, if if he if he's now throwing turnover balls, the Packers don't have anything. <laughs> Remember before the season when everybody thought the Packers were going to have a top ten defense? I said there's no reason to really believe that the Packers are going to have a top ten defense. How 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 they doing? I wasn't right about everything this year, but on the list of things I was right about, along with the Eagles, that goes on that list. Yeah. And somehow, on the Football Stats and Data Show, we have gone nearly an hour without discussing the most impressive statistical data of the week. Justin Fields breaks Michael Vick's 20-year-old record, regular season record, for rushing yards by a quarterback in a regular season game. We had, uh, I just erased, uh, 178 yards against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Colin Kaepernick's 181 in in the playoffs against the Packers is still the all-time record. But uh, Justin Fields doing things that uh, no one's ever done before. And and it kind of flew under the radar. I didn't realize this record had fallen. And it's my job. I'm the quick reads guy. It's my job to study data and and, and numbers and things. I didn't even realize this record had been broken until Monday afternoon. Yeah, the Vic record of 173 yards against Minnesota week 13, 2002 is still the record holder for rushing DYAR because Vic had three touchdowns, two, two touchdowns, but almost 20 yards of carry, but the field, Oh, two touchdowns, but the yeah. fields, uh, the fields game is second now in rushing DYAR ahead of the Kaepernick game. Yep. Uh, and yep. I don't have previous in front of me, but, Quickly in front of me, but he, only two of his carries failed to gain first downs. He was not just ripping off one long run, but short ones. 
he was essentially unstoppable. And, and design runs, every design run they called for Justin Fields, he got a first down. And useful title says, the real question is, why did it take the Bears this long to let Fields run the ball? That's a very good question. And that is a very good question. It's worth noting that Fields has gotten a little bit better as a passer, which means that teams do have to respect the passing a little bit more. Like on that 61-yard run or whatever it was, the, the, the real big highlight one, the the uh, the Dolphins had seven seven players drop back in coverage. You didn't do that against the Bears in week one or two because they couldn't throw. Uh, Fields' passing rate is still still terrible, but over the last month it's negative twenty three percent as opposed to the negative forty four percent it was over the first month. So I mean, yeah. baby steps forward. It, it still needs to get further if he's going to continue being an actual good NFL quarterback. But if but you know now that now that the Bears have unleashed. Uh, Fields' running ability, you feel like there's something there you can do. Oh, you around. feel what's special about him now. Yes. Yes. You're, he looks like a first round draft pick now, which is the first oh, time yeah. in the NFL he has. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize this until I'm reading this sentence right now. Fields set an all time record for most passing yards in a game for, for a player who ran for more yards than they passed. Yeah. A, a bizarre stat line there, but yes. That's a very 2022 Chicago Bears stat line. The, the Bears have now rushed for 225 yards or more in the last four games. They're the first team to do that since the 1976 Steelers, or the first team to do that since the 1978 passing rules were changed. But however you, however, however you particularly want to view that stat, they, no team has been running this good for a month straight in a long, long time. If, if only we could see the Bears against the Chargers or the Texans. Oh, Bears or Texans would be... <laughs> they'd run for 1,000 yards in that game. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is going to do it for this week. I want to thank uh, Aaron Schatz and Brian Knowles for being part of the show. I want to thank all you listeners for tuning in because, frankly, if you're not here, we're just three guys killing time in a, in a, on a podcast. And I mostly, well, largely want to thank uh, the folks at Underdog Fantasy because you can play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. If your season-long fantasy teams are floundering, you can play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You can even win $50,000 if you grab first place. Or you can try their Pick'em games, where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com. Or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code Outsiders now to double your first deposit up to one hundred dollars. Aaron, Brian, a fun time as always. Let's do this again next week. Yes, and don't forget one o'clock Eastern every day live streams here, Football Outsiders, and I will be back on Thursday with Mike Neer. And this week's guest for our Thursday show is Matt Manicharian from Sports Info Solutions. Preview of the weekend.